Hello, and welcome to Kids of Stuff, a Chucky podcast, a Haunted MTL original podcast. I'm your host, David Davis, and my guest this week is one of my collaborators in comics, Gage Lippolt. Aww. How you doing, Gage? Hi, uh, I'm Gage. I'm also known as Cat Comic Studios. Uh, I make two web comics. Well, that kind of gets into the background that I was going to ask because I, I want the audience to know a little bit about like your background in uh, storytelling and that sort of thing. Well, I'm so glad you asked. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, I'm most known for a comic called Key to the Future's Fate. It's an all ages solar punk uh, adventure comic, a uh, comedy mm-hmm. adventure. And I also happen to be the writer on a uh, spinoff of Cosmic Dash, Galactic Hub Cerebrum. Which would my which would be my comic, which is uh, a lot of fun. So it, it's cool to kind of you know. And the thing is, I, I chose you because I really liked what you did with Key to uh, Key to the Future's Fate. Yeah. On that note, I wanted to ask is, about uh, that. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I, I, one thing I think I'd like the audience to know is like, what is Solar Punk? Can you give them a quick description of that? Uh, I think the quickest description I can give is like, imagine the polar opposite of cyberpunk. <laughs> Basically, uh, you know, that's perfectly fair. Yeah, it's a lot of like. A lot of uh, very wavy, fun architecture, lots of, like, solar-powered stuff, very optimistic. A lot of green. Yes, lots of greenery. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I, uh, you know, I've been, we've been friends for a while. I think this is, like, one of the few times we've actually talked, like, voice-to-voice, because we mostly, you know, you know how it is with online discussions. It's over Discord these days. Um, but uh, I really liked what you did with Keys, uh, Key to the Future's Fate, and that's why I brought you on for the spin-off to my comic, and that's been a lot of fun so far. I really enjoyed it. Yes, and I was very interested in, in the thought process. It's like, yeah, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm known for lots of, like, fun, like, silly, optimistic, and, you know, comedy things. And I was curious, like, mm-hmm. what the thought process was where you're like, this is the guy I gotta get to review some horror movies. <laughs> well, that that's kind of the, the conceit behind the podcast is like, okay, so... Um, I am, like, super into horror. I know that not everybody is. I'm also super into the Chucky franchise. I know that not everybody is. But even if it's something that, like, I don't personally like, like, if I see a movie and I don't like that movie, there's still something that I can get from it, usually, as someone who writes. Um, you know, they may do things a certain way. Uh, I may like parts of it or something like that. But the idea is that even as a writer, I see this, uh value in something I may not be into. Fair enough. So so the idea is that I'm just getting people I know who are writers and just like, well, what do you think of the, these movies? What do you think of this character? What do you think of the characterization? That sort of thing. Um, and, you know, hopefully maybe win a few converts. I know that uh, in my first episode, uh, my first guest, Kevin, he, like, hadn't seen the Child's Play movies, uh, the first one, since it came out. You know, and he, he saw that as, like, a moody teenager or whatever. So then uh, he came back, revisited it, thanks, uh, well, not not thanks to me, but because I had asked him to, uh, to to view it and be the first guest, and he, he ended up really liking it, which was a very pleasant surprise. So there's, I think there's also kind of a, an appeal to these movies that, you know, I'm, I'm also trying to, like, dig into and figure out. Fair enough, because, I mean, I, I, like, you mentioned that he didn't care for it as much when he was younger, but... I think I'm also getting to the point where I'm getting older and I'm just starting to be like, you know what, it doesn't have to be like this perfect thing. It can just be fun. Yeah, you know, and that that was my whole thing. Like, um, you know, I, I used to be like super cynical 
Um, you know, and I used to be kind of like a dickhead where it's like, you know, if I, if there was something I didn't like, I would like rail against it and that sort of thing. But now it's just like, even if a thing isn't great. And I think it's because I've, you know, I've always been into horror, but now I'm just watching like every single horror thing I can get a hold of. And the quality of those things can vary wildly. And a lot of them are not that great, but I still find something to love and value in all of them. Because they're all still, like, you know, an artistic achievement in and of themselves, regardless of the quality, usually. Yeah, and they, they usually, there's something that they can deliver on. Like, I think every movie does something well, and there's something you can borrow from it. And, you know, the same thing applies to, like, books and comics and everything like that. So, um, on, on that note, though, are you a fan of horror? So, <laughs> I, <laughs> the funny thing is, I... Don't really. I have two main experience with, experiences with horror, and I'll just run through mm-hmm. them really quick. Uh, the first one was when I was younger. I had a sleepover with some friends, and we watched the Feast trilogy. Are you familiar with that? Yes. All I remember from those movies is the phrase, Monster Cock Stuck in the Door. <laughs> but <laughs> it was a fun time. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Uh, my other main experience was a uh, different sleepover. Me and my friends got a little tipsy, and we literally played Until Dawn, Until Dawn, which was also a very (laughs) fun night. Mm -hmm. So I don't actually have much experience with horror, but, like, spoiler alert, including this movie, like, it's pretty much always been positive, I would say. I honestly don't know why I don't look into it more. Well, and I think you hit up on a key thing here, because all of your experiences have technically been communal. And there's just something about seeing a horror movie or playing a game with other people that, like, maybe it lessens the fear of it, but it also, like, increases the enjoyment because you're all, like, you know, you'll laugh when someone freaks out or, you know, that sort of thing. That's, you know, that's a good point because, I mean, I think I'm, I was very, I was a little, like, scared to check out this movie at first. I was like, oh, God, I hope this doesn't freak me out. And... (laughs) It didn't really scare me, I guess. It had some tense moments, but it was just... I, I think it would be a good idea for me to try out more of them like, in a group, if only if only because it'll be easier to handle and also because it is funnier when people freak out. Yeah, it's definitely, like, if you want to, like, get into horror, like, watch watch it in a group, watch it with a friend, that sort of thing. Um, you know, because I'll watch the stuff by myself, but it's always more fun when I have my wife with me. You know, and then especially because uh, she and I are working on something else, um, and so we're rewatching a different film series, and we're going to be doing a podcast about that. But you know, it's it's fun to kind of like, what's her experience with this stuff? Yeah, the only experience I've had specifically with Chucky before this point uh, was that some of my friends actually are like genuinely uh, not a fan. Like, they they genuinely get freaked out when they see that little creepy doll man. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, it helps that, like, Chucky's super unsettling. Um, oh, God, oh, my yes. Cat wants to be, uh, my cat wants to be a part of the podcast here in the background. Zelda! <laughs> yes, yeah, Zelda the cat. She's the unofficial third member of the show. But, um, yeah, no, there's something, like, super un- uh, unsettling about Chucky, especially in, like, that first movie. We'll talk about how Chucky is shown in this movie, but, like... All, all the different shots where, like, 
you know, you have the robotic motion, the jerky motion of the doll, and then you have those moments of the uncanny valley where there's that smooth movement, and it, it really adds to, like, the weirdness of it all. I, I specifically... So I wrote down a bunch of notes as I was going through the movie, and... That's perfect. Yeah, one of my notes specifically was just, like, I fucking hate the way this doll's face moves. It is... It is honestly probably the creepiest part of it for me. The more time that he spends in the the body of the doll, the more the face contorts and distorts. And yeah, the cool thing is like one of my favorite details is the hairline receding. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's like yeah, the more he uh, you know the the face starts off very simple and smooth, but then you start getting the wrinkles. You get the very dis the discernible lines from like the nose to the chin. And everything like that, you get like the the brow gets more developed and that sort of thing. And it's one of my favorite parts of like the detail that they put into these movies. Didn't realize part of the Chucky curse was balding. That's truly a terrible curse. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because you'll see like throughout the movies, his hairline gets like receded. He gets a more prominent widow's peak and everything like that. Um, hmm. Yeah. So next time you watch it, um, you're gonna have to keep an eye out for that. I mean, honestly. Again, without spoiling too much, like after seeing this this movie, I was like, "That was, I I I am interested in potentially seeing a little more." Now, did you watch the first one at all? I did not. I just listened to the podcast that uh, you and Kevin did. Mm-hmm. By the way, Kevin has a wonderful voice. Yes, he has like a, a very sexy voice. <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't say it, I would have. Yeah. I <laughs> so I get I get the general gist of it. That's you know curse thing serial killer got put into a doll mm-hmm. and uh one thing that i noted at the beginning of the second movie even though i haven't seen the first one the they have some very snappy and efficient exposition like they mm-hmm. I, I having not seen the first film like i totally get the situation of the original they like get through all the stuff you have to know and it's they're very good at communicating that that was that was good yeah, they, they do a good job of kind of, like, getting everybody up to speed. Uh, so before we dive into the movie too much uh, regarding the discussion, I do want to kind of give some finer points about, like, the uh, the background of the film. Yes, go ahead. So, um, yeah, so this is going to be me reading from a list, but feel free to, like, pop in whenever you'd like. Sure. So, um, Child's Play 2, which is the title of our film, I don't know if we mentioned that up front, uh, was released in November of 1990, set about two years after the first film. I, no, I was I, surprised, because when I was watching it, I would have sworn it was an 80s movie, but I actually looked up halfway through, it's like, this is from 1990? Well, you, you got that lag between decades, you know what I mean? It's yeah. not like the 90s until like 1995 or 1996. True. And it's not the 2000s until like 2005. Um, yeah, not to the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, but it, it continues what we would call the Andy Barclay storyline, which... Uh, that's like the, the core of the first three movies, because um, there's seven total. Did you know that there were seven films? I know that there were a lot of them. I think mm-hmm. I've heard there's one that's like Bride of Chucky, and that's about yeah. all I know. So you have Child's Play 1, 2, and 3. You have Bride of Chucky, Seed of Chucky, Curse of Chucky, and Cult of Chucky, and then you have the new Chucky show coming out. Yes, that I've heard of from you. Yeah, yeah, I, I won't shut up about it. That's probably why. <laughs> um, but yeah, it kind of continues that Andy Barclay storyline. And uh, the director of the movie is John Lafia, who is one of the co-writers of the original. Oh, nice. Would, so um, you had the... Um, so the, the three talents involved in the writing of the first film eventually all sit down in the director's chair. 
Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Now, Lafayette's career is kind of limited, though. He only had about seven films in his filmography, but he definitely had a little more work on the TV side of the injury uh, or uh, the industry. But only, <laughs> right? Yeah, Freudian slip. Um, <clears throat> but like on the TV side of the industry, like he'd direct an episode or two for different series. Um, so things like uh, Freddy's Nightmares, Babylon Five, and The Dead Zone. Have you heard any of those? I've heard of Babylon Five. I- I mean, my initial instinct was like, oh, that's surprising, but it's like, no, there's, I suppose, I mean, you are a good example. There's a lot of surprising crossover between stuff like horror and, like, sci-fi and all that kind of thing. Well, and then, like, uh, so Freddy's Nightmares was an anthology series based on, loosely based on Nightmare on Elm Street, where it was, like, Freddy Krueger telling a different, like, scary story each episode. They did the same thing with the Friday the 13th series, but it had nothing to do with Jason Voorhees. Because uh, they had the Friday the 13th TV show. And then Dead Zone is a uh, Stephen King adaptation of uh, one of his novels. Okay, okay. Uh, that, did you ever see that episode of South Park where Cartman becomes psychic and he uh, he he tracks down that serial killer? That sounds painfully familiar. <laughs> it, it's basically just the Dead Zone. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, See, you just got to phrase you got to phrase everything in like South Park references. Eventually, I'll get it. You know, uh, yeah, you know, the show's been on long enough that South Park has basically referenced everything. That's true. Um, you know, it's just like the Simpsons. Simpsons did it. Uh, <laughs> so, um, you know, another thing about Lafia is that he also completed like a handful of albums that I think are worth checking out. They're pretty good. Um, his story ends a little sadly, though. He uh, he left us in uh, 2020 due to suicide. Um, yeah, which, you know, it's, it's a sad, sad thing and I don't want to get like too into the weeds on it, but you know, um, you know, some of these people, these movies that we're dealing with just aren't with us anymore. I mean, it makes sense because a lot of these franchises, like I'm not, like I said, I'm not very familiar with a lot of horror, Mm -hmm. but I am familiar with the fact that a lot of these have been around for quite a while. So it's like, yeah, yeah. Uh, now, as far as the writing credit on the film, the sole writing credit belongs to the creator of the series, Don Mancini. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, he he did like an initial draft of the film, was which was definitely larger in scope. But you know, they uh, it was also d- uh, like a direct follow through from the first movie. But because of budget constraints, they couldn't really do that, so they cut a lot out. And this film is probably the most brisk of the uh, the films in the franchise. I can feel that, like it. I think it was a uh, hour forty, but it it definitely felt very quick and like not super. I guess what's the complicated would be the word for it. I guess. Yeah, and it's interesting because like the the stuff that they cut um, was like direct follow through from Child's Play one. So an early draft featured Andy's mom Karen being sentenced to an institution. And the idea was that, like, Catherine Hicks and Chris Sarandon were set to come back. This was ultimately cut out, though, which is why the film's so lean. So, like, as far as, like, the the background for the film, we get that Andy's in the system, you know, the foster care system, and that he can't see his mom. You get the impression that his mom is, like, probably in an institution or something. But they yeah. don't, like, give us the detail. They mentioned uh, at the very beginning, I think, that she's, like, being held in psychiatric care, I, th- I believe. Yeah, so instead of showing us, they, they tell us, but it actually works in this case here. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially, like, you know, if you've seen the, uh, the first movie, it's like, okay, yeah, no, obviously she's probably 
being held somewhere and, you know, this poor kid is being put into the system. But we'll, we'll talk about, like, that efficiency and storytelling a little later. Yes. Um, I, I do want to talk about the cast a little bit. So, um, the only two people from the first movie to come back for this one are Alex Vincent as Andy and, of course, Brad Dourif as Chucky. Um, and uh, what did you think of the kid who played Andy? What did you think of Alex? Uh, I'll mention it a little later, but he okay. I think he does a good job. There was one scene in particular that when we get to it I'll be I'll let you know, but mm-hmm. I okay. I don't see a lot of kid actors, but I mean he, he was pretty, he was fine. Yeah, especially like if you get a chance, I want you to go back and watch the original because like um that was something that Kevin and I had talked about was like just how intense it was for that kid. Um, I can like, imagine. Yeah, it was it was like you you feel really bad. I mentioned it being com- almost like misery porn in a way, and I'll, I'll get a little bit more into the weeds on that because like I think I I honestly feel like Andy is the most cursed protagonist ever. I think what I appreciate about it though is that I, I kind of have this concept with like slasher movies and like certain horror movies of this of this type that most of the protagonists, for lack of a better word, most of the main characters are just kind of meant to just die or they're not meant to be that interesting they're just kind of you know kill fodder and, and it's feel- great when yeah it's great when like a series has a protagonist you actually care about and you can root for because you're usually you're rooting for the the slasher but you know you've got these like protagonists who end up standing out and what i think what i appreciate about andy is that he doesn't feel like especially for a kid he doesn't feel helpless to me he mm-hmm. he definitely feels like he he recognizes that there's stuff going on that people just won't, you know, give him credit for or recognize in him. Like, and it's, you can almost kind of feel him sort of going into himself, like regressing from people because he's starting to recognize like, okay, no one's going to believe me about this. I just, I won't even bother. Just screw it. And it's really like messed up. Yeah, uh, yeah, but also, like, you see, like, well, if, uh, okay, obviously you haven't seen because you haven't seen the first film, but there's a, mm. there's definitely this, like, character development where he, he's already been through this situation, so he knows what to do, but he still ends up making a mistake, like what, like a kid would do, and I'll, yes. um, I'll talk about that later, but, um, I wanna, I wanna continue with the cast real quick. Yes, go ahead. So, there are, um, two notable additions in the cast uh, because they would play a role in later films in the series. So uh, the two people we want to talk about here, we have Christine Elise, who plays Kyle, mm-hmm. uh, Andy's foster sister, and she'll show up again. Uh, she's also set to return to the uh, the TV show, which I'm really excited about because I, I love Kyle. Um, I love her, too. She's great. Yeah, yeah, Kyle's great. We'll talk about Kyle more. And then uh, the second person is Peter Haskell, who plays Mr. Sullivan, who's the CEO of Play Pals, the company that makes the good guy dolls. I was um, interested in him, because he didn't get much screen time, but he seemed important. Right, so he, he does show up in Child's Play 3, but very briefly. And uh, the interesting thing about Child's Play 3, this will this will let you know about the turnaround time of these movies, that one came out about nine months after Child's Play 2 came out. <laughs> Could have a baby in that time. Right. <laughs> well, and I guess, uh, you know, the film is Get kind a of a baby. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, like, you know, nine months later, bam, Child's Play 3. I guess it makes sense, because, I mean, these the films seem like as you mentioned, like not super high budget, so there's probably a you know a touch less work to it. Still a lot, but 
less well, than especially because you got you got like the rig Chucky doll, so it's like provided oh, you can find a story, it's like okay, well we got the doll and we know it can work, mm-hmm. so let's do something else with it. So um, we we have those two members of the cast who would co- go on to like return. However, we also have two other members of the cast um, who are one and done characters. But they're also, uh, I think they're very, I think they're very notable actors. So um, we have Jenny Gutter as Joanne Simpson and Garrett Graham as Phil Simpson, the family, you know, the foster family that takes an Andy. Yes. So uh, as far as like names in the film, those two are pretty big gets, especially for someone who's like into horror and like cult film and that sort of thing. Um, you know, Brad Dourif is probably the biggest name on the cast at this point. But um, uh, Jenny Gutter, I would say she's very, very close to that. And then Garrett Graham is a little more, um, he, he's not as big, but he's still, like, pretty big in comparison to, like, Alex and, uh, you know, the, the kids in the movie. I'm glad um, you know these people because I, yeah. you're just saying names at me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I know. That's how it goes. But I'll, I'll get, I, I might be able to point out some roles that you might be familiar with. Were they in South Park? No, they were not in South Park. <laughs> but they they were in films that I think were probably referenced in South Park. So, um, <laughs> like, uh, mm-hmm. on that note, I think I'm probably going to have to do a, an episode that's just on Brad Dourif. Just, like, talk about how fucking cool he is. Agreed. Um, yeah, he, he's a great actor. A uh, great character uh, character actor. Um, so, as far as uh, Jenny Gutter goes, um, and I'm probably butchering her last name, but... Um, a uh, BAFTA-winning actress in television, film, theater, audio. Uh, she might be most recognizable to sci-fi fans from the movie Logan's Run from 1976. Mm-hmm. Uh, she played Jessica Six, the uh, the sex worker. And then in uh, for horror fans, she was in a, an American Werewolf in London in 1981, which is one of the best werewolf movies ever made. Um, like, I could name a bunch of other important credits, but, like, for our purposes... Those two movies would be the ones that most people in this audience would probably recognize. Do you recognize either of those movies? I've heard of them, never seen them. Okay, uh, both of them excellent movies. Uh, Logan's Run, great sci-fi, very like 1970s cheesy. American <laughs> Werewolf in London, a lot of fun. Um, one of the best werewolf transformation scenes ever made. Um, that being said, let's talk about Garrett Graham. So he's basically like... He's almost like the good luck charm of Brian De Palma. Like, he shows up in a lot of Brian De Palma films, but he's also known for some appearances on Star Trek Deep Space Nine and Voyager. Oh, interesting. Right. Now, as far as, like, horror fans, uh, I can name the movies Chopping Mall from 1986 and Chud 2, Bud the Chud from 1989. And, like, horror fans will be like, oh, yeah, man, that's great. Um... But for me, he's always going to be Beef. <laughs> now, um, Beef uh, was a character he played in Brian De Palma's 1974 horror comedy rock opera, Phantom of the Paradise. That movie also had Jessica Harper and Paul Williams. Like, I love Phantom of the Paradise. Have you ever seen that one? No, but just with the credits you've given me, I want to marry this man. <laughs> yeah, he, he's, he's got, like, some really fun credits on there. Um, I, I definitely suggest you try Phantom of the Paradise. It's, uh, it's a horror comedy rock opera, and it's kind of like, um, 
you know, it, it's it's borrowing heavily from Phantom of the Opera, but the idea is that it's this musician who uh, makes a Faustian bargain with this music empresario who's actually, like, an immortal vampire figure. I need and, to see this, actually, yeah, is what yes, you should it's, say. It's got some amazing music, and it's got Paul Williams, the guy who did a lot of the music for the Muppets. Oh, my God. Did yes, they make this yes. movie for me specifically? You know, I, I I was thinking about it, and yeah, I think uh, Phantom of the Paradise is the perfect movie for you, uh, especially if you want to kind of get into horror themes, but not uh, get too into the weeds with like the gore and the spookiness. I think that yeah, that'd be a good thing for me because the gore aspect isn't super interesting beyond the like technical aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I would definitely suggest you try that movie. Um, so I think with that being said, we've kind of covered all the background stuff, so now we can kind of, like, get into the weeds as far as, like, what we thought of the movie. So I, what I'd like to do is I'd like to ask you, like, what's your favorite moment in the movie? Favorite moment? Hmm. Like, if you have one. If you don't, that's fine, too. Tell us why you don't have one, but... I... <laughs> I oh, I know what it is, actually. Oh, there uh, you go. It was one of the... It's a scene where, uh, the first, like... Uh, scene where the family is starting to think uh, that the kid is, or Jesus, sorry, Andy Mm -hmm. uh, has had his first encounter with Chucky, and nobody believes him, obviously, Mm -hmm. and they, both of the kids got in trouble, both him and uh, Kyle got in trouble. Oh, the bed? Uh, Yes, yes, the bed. It was (laughs) after that, and there's a scene after where Kyle is obviously not a big fan of this child, because uh, he got her grounded, Mm -hmm. but... (laughs) So that he just goes to hang out with her, and he just mm-hmm. does this joke, which is great. He go, yeah, he jumps up on the uh, laundry machine. He's just like, "Want to hear me say your name backwards?" Just looks at him, and he's just like, "Whatever, kid." He turns around, Kyle. That was fucking hilarious. <laughs> yeah, like when when I watched that with my wife, I I just like I laughed really hard because it's just such a a stupid joke, but it's also like you you can tell it's something that like maybe his mom had told him. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, I I thought that was great. It's a great little bit for Andy, and, like, I I think the timing of that, uh, like, the comedic timing of that was perfect, because it, like, immediately kind of puts them both at ease as characters and in the story itself. And it's followed up immediately with... (laughs) the. it's followed up immediately with him, with her just handing him her cigarettes, which was great. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, that is like it, that is definitely uh, one of my favorite scenes. That that's definitely a really good one. Um, one of one of my favorite scenes, I would say, is probably the uh, scene where Kyle um, is on the swing set, and she's yes. just you're waiting for her to kind of kick up that shoe of the other good guy doll that Chucky like. I wouldn't say he murdered because it, it you know, the, the the doll isn't a living thing, but like he, he smashes the face in and he buries it in the backyard like he's hiding a body. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, that you know, that that whole thing where she's just like slowly kicks it up and you're just waiting for that shoe to well pun pun intended, like that shoe to drop where it's like, Oh, now she knows. I think I really appreciated like there were a lot of like very quiet and contemplative mo- uh, moments in the film. Which mm-hmm. I guess I'm very I've gotten so used to the like go 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 of a lot of like the action and like a lot of the kids media that I tend to go through. It's like it's nice just have a few moments where it's really just the characters just really just being there, just kind of really parsing out the experience that they're having. It's like God, I want more of that. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's just good to have the characters shut the fuck up for a minute. Oh yeah. 
Yeah, you don't you don't get a lot of that with uh, some of the more modern and like contemporary horror. Although although that is coming back because I think like all all of the like zippy we need to keep moving that sort of thing that's all moving kind of like the t to the TV side of things and yeah. in, like film like some of the things are slowing down a little bit in horror film which I I think you know you know I'm not I'm not. I'm painting with a very broad brush here. Like, not everything applies to this, but it's just, just an a overall trend I've noticed. Yeah, especially if you watch something like uh, Ari Aster's um, Hereditary or Midsommar or that sort of thing. It, you have those quiet moments. So it's coming back. It's coming yeah, back. Yeah, it does a lot for the film, and I appreciate that. Yeah. So um, l- l- let's talk a little bit about, like, Andy as a character. Now, I got the impression that you kind of you, you you like Andy as a character, right? Yes, very much. So, so can you dig into that a little bit? Like, what's? I think what I there's I think there's two major aspects that I really appreciate. Uh, the first one ties into another aspect that I love about the film. I really like the 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 way they do like some of the shots in the film. Mm-hmm. There's one bit of composition that I really liked where. Uh, one of the dudes that works at the toy factory, he's just going to get some vodka for this chick that he's banging, I assume. Mm-hmm. And you just see this overhead shot with the liquor sign in one corner, the car just kind of like uh, adjacent to it. And it's like, you didn't really have to do that. It's kind of an artsy shot almost, but it's like, mm-hmm. I, I almost want that picture just as like a painting in my house. It's just, I really love that. And like... Oh. The way that that uh, comes back with Andy is that when he first gets to the the new foster parents' house, I noticed that they kind of kept a sort of like lower angle shot to it. Like you're almost seeing the new house from his perspective. And it really Mm -hmm. adds to the effect of making it seem like this big and unfamiliar place. Also, the furniture and wallpaper is ugly as sin, though. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, like it's a shitty place for a kid. Yes, and then uh, one other thing... In particular, do you mind if we go forward to the plot, or oh, you just yeah, want to keep yeah. it? Okay, yeah, yes. at this point, we're not necessarily going to like cover the. Uh, we're not going to like go through, run through the plot or anything because, uh, you know, we. I, I just kind of want to like get into the weeds as far as like specific moments. You know what I mean? Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So in that case, I'll bring it up. Uh, there is a part where a little later on, which really hit me. Uh, it was so at this point, Kyle still doesn't believe that Chucky is you know a cursed doll or whatever. And he, uh, she's bringing him to his school bus, and you can see that he is terrified because he's just had another encounter. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, Kyle's not giving him any, any real headway. Just she's just almost pissed off at him because he's like, "What the hell are you looking for?" Mm-hmm. And it's very quiet. You could almost miss it, mm-hmm. but he just says nothing, and it's just this gut wrenchingly terrified, like little utterance from this kid. And I was like. Oh my god! I feel so yeah. bad for this child. Yeah, like I uh, like I, I've watched a lot of slasher films. I'm sure you're not shocked by this, no. but um, like as far as protagonists go, um, like Andy is my absolute favorite because it, it. I feel so bad for him all the time because he does everything like he should do. You know what I mean? He like mm-hmm. tells people, "No, it's this doll. You need to watch. You need to." And he he keeps getting like put into these situations. And you just, I feel so fucking bad for him, like, all of the time. This kid deserved none of this, and I want I want justice for Andy. Well, you know, Andy does get his justice. You know, you, you can't keep a good guy down. 
<laughs> get it? But yeah. um, but like Andy does kind of get his uh, his justice on Chucky a, a couple of times, and Andy is still part of the series. He disappears for uh, two of the movies, but then he comes back in a very fun way in the sixth movie. He has a major po- uh, presence in the seventh movie, and he's going to be showing up with Kyle in the TV show. That makes me so happy because. So, having, like, no idea of, like, where the series goes, I I actually just kind of, like, made a joke headcanon that uh, after this film, it's just, <laughs> it's Chucky staying dead, and it's just the Nani-Lilo kind of relationship between Kyle and, An- between Kyle and Andy. So, um, as far as where the series goes from here, uh, the next movie takes place, uh, like, six years later. Mm-hmm. Um... And and then at the time in like future like 1998, the so the the movie the movie actually because the movie comes out in like 1990, um, but they set it in the future because they have uh, a new guy play Andy as a uh, teenager, mm-hmm. and he's in military school, so oh, you can imagine you. having Chucky at military school leads to a lot of problems. You know, hijinks ensue. <laughs> <laughs> That's a way to put it. But um, yeah, it, it kind of completes that Andy Barkley storyline at least for a little bit because mm-hmm. you know again Chucky has to come back for Bride of Chucky and you know all that. What you know the the chronology of the the series is really interesting because like it maintains this continuity. So mm-hmm. for a time it gets set in the future, and then like when they get to the future they kind of pick up because Bride of Chucky takes place like a month after Child's Play three. So you're saying he doesn't stay dead in this movie? No, he does not. Oh, disappointing. Yeah. Uh, eventually, you get more than one Chucky too. So. <laughs> I can believe that. Yeah, especially with all like the vo- the voodoo stuff that they do. So, um, so yeah, I, I I think like Andy's a fantastic character. So so what were what was your impression of Kyle? I I really I really liked Kyle. I mean. Like, at first, you know, you kind of get the impression that she'll just, you know, not believe him. She'll just be another victim. But, like, god damn it, if she doesn't, like, step up once she recognizes that the shit's real, like, I really really appreciated her. Well, and, you know, that's one of the things I appreciate about the movie is because, you know, this poor kid has lost his family. He gets put into a situation where it's like that. Those two, like, I, I, you know, the, the fosters, like, I get the impression that they're probably okay people, but they're not the most fit for taking care of a traumatized child. That's a good way um, to put it, yeah. But, but then, like, you know, Kyle being a, a traumatized child herself... Um, like she, she has this natural bond with Andy and, um, you know, that she becomes like that sister for him. I I think seeing that particular bond explored more would be something that would really entice me to check out more of the films, but it does sound like at least Andy anyway, isn't really part of most of the series after the third one. So, so Andy, like uh, of the seven movies, Andy is in, uh, five of them. So, uh, and Kyle, she's in, uh, she's mentioned in four of them, Mm -hmm. but she's only in, I think, uh, two of them, but she's set to come back for the series. So I think they're going to explore a lot of that. But, um, the, the other thing is, um, they keep telling us that Kyle is like this troubled kid, but she doesn't seem all that troubled. You know what I mean? I mean, she, she smokes, but that was in like. 
the fucking she, early 90s, so she, I don't know. I think she smokes smoked. and she wears a leather hat. <laughs> yeah, she's cool. Yeah, no, yeah, she's cool as shit, but it's like that idea that, like, you know, and I almost wonder, because one aspect of the series that I, I'm going to dive into eventually is kind of like the queer reading of the film. Mm-hmm. So we, we don't get a sense of what, like, Kyle's sexuality is or anything like that, but I, I don't know, there's something about her that kind of reads as a, a, almost like queer-coded. I can't quite put my finger on it yet, and I'll have to save that for another episode, but there's just something that's like, different about her and not in a bad way or anything like that it's just mm-hmm. you know she she seems like she's i can i can kind of see what you're going at like a lot of time in theory it could be like a almost a narrative like a, the parents got rid of her because you know it could be implied that she is you know not 100 percent straight or something to that effect perhaps yeah, and we, we don't really get a sense of, like, what her... Like, she has her friends that show up at the bus stop, but you don't really get a sense that, like, she's seeing anyone or anything like that. So mm. I'm, I'm kind of curious where uh, if they're going to revisit any of that, you know, uh, when they when they bring her back or something like that. But no, that, like, Kyle Kyle's a cool chick, man. I love Kyle. I, I think the... Th- I think I imagine with a lot of, like, horror movies or just a lot of media that involves characters that are ostracized in general or mm-hmm. you know don't fit into the mold like that kind of media that kind of theming tends to appeal a lot to queer audiences in particular because you know mm-hmm. <laughs> you know real life and all that yeah and um yeah so I, I think there's something to it i just can't put my finger on it yet but um like i i, I could definitely see and you know i i think i was browsing i think it was peacock because they have their um, Peacocktober thing, um, and I think I think under queer horror they had Child's Play too. Well, I, I think you mentioned in the uh, first podcast episode that I think there was a there was a gay voice involved in making it. I don't remember which one it was though. I'm afraid. See, uh, yeah, Don Mancini, but mm. like just because he is gay and making the film, like. I don't know if I, that would be enough to, like, label the film as queer horror unless it's, like, definitely, like, dealing with some of those themes or you can read into the text that way. That's an in, that's always an interesting kind of, like, debate. Like, if you have something that's made by a queer individual, mm-hmm. if it's not, you know, if they don't gay it up enough, is it considered gay enough and that kind of thing? It's like, I I personally tend to just view it like, if they want to put it in that kind of category, then by all means, and if they don't see it, and if they don't want to like set it as that kind of thing, because they might be worried that if you say this is a queer film and it's not yeah. you know gay enough, then it'll be like people complain at you. So yeah, I, I think so it can that, be a tough sort of thing to balance. Yeah, and that that's that's what I'm trying to kind of like parse with this character, and I'm wondering if like it's Kyle as being a non, uh, I like Her a non typical, uh, like teenage girl victim that gives it kind of that queer aspect to it. I just I just mm-hmm. don't know, and it's one of those things where I'll have to, like, dig up some essays, and I, th- that's what I do anyway as a teacher, is, like, what do other people say about this thing? But, um, yeah, I just, uh, like, Kyle's a great character, and I'm, I'm glad that she, you know, gets referenced later, and I'm glad that she eventually comes back, and I just, I love that relationship between Andy and Kyle by the end. I, yeah, I, the best thing I would recommend is just get some ladies who like ladies on and see if they have any any thoughts on the matter yeah yeah i think that would be i think that would be a fun one so um as far as the performances go uh like 
which one stood out to you the most? I mean, the easy vote is the the duty does Chucky because like mm-hmm. oh. <laughs> I, I get the feeling he definitely chews up scenery even more in other films, but yeah, oh, he so had a he, good run at it here. You might know him as a Grima Wormtongue from The Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I can believe it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Brad Dourif, absolutely fantastic actor. Um, definitely, like, Chucky is the hammiest character he's ever done, by far. Um, and I just, I love Chucky as a character. Like, he's totally evil. He's totally, like, the worst person ever. Yes. But the character is just so strong. The character is just so strong that you can't help but, like, enjoy hearing him talk and seeing him do these terrible things. I think part of what also, like, helps balance it, too, is there's a lot of catharsis, at least in this film. Mm-hmm. Like, you see Chucky getting fucked up all the time. Oh, yes. Uh, I actually wanted to bring that up because, like... In these movies, like, Chucky's killing people, and it's usually, like, something like a stabbing or, like, uh, like this, the, the, the foster dad, like, breaks his neck and that sort of thing. But, like, the, most of the most pointed violence is always towards Chucky. Yes. That, which I, I really like. Uh, and you, you see that throughout the series, you know, in the first movie, he gets tossed in a fireplace and burned. He gets shot several times. <laughs> in this one, uh, he gets, like... Uh, uh, melted under like uh, like molten plastic, he gets a bunch of like doll parts shoved into him. Um, yes, yep. He gets uh, he gets his hand ripped off by a grate. He he gets his uh, face ripped off in the first one. Um, he falls into a, a fan blade. I'm sorry, in the third one, he falls into a fan blade and gets like chopped up into pieces. <laughs> uh, so that that's the thing that I love about it. even though he's like killing people, his kills are kind of like meh compared to what happens to him it kind of balances itself out yeah there's like kind of like a karma element there and it's it's so satisfying to hear him scream (laughs) something about brad Dourif screaming man it's just like it's music to my ears i don't know what it is but i'm sure he'd appreciate the compliment yeah but it's one of those things like 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 did you find yourself like getting really excited when like uh you know chucky's getting his shit kicked in oh my god yeah because it's like like you mentioned, it's like this this almost karmic balance element to it. It just I, I think it adds a lot of like I don't know if fun is the right word, but it, it I, I think I it think eases some of the tension. It eases I, I some think, of the tension. Yeah, I think fun would be a good word for it because ultimately, like I you know I came out of Child's Play too, and like this is a fun movie. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think fun is an appropriate word because like. Um, you know, Chucky's just such an asshole that it's just, it's so nice to see him, like, get his, his shit kicked in like that. Just so good. Um, but yeah, as, like, a character, like, he, he feels, like, very rounded as well, I think. You know, he, he may be, like, this murder-obsessed doll, but you get this sense that, like, he has these other things going on. And they, they get into that a little bit more in, as the movies go on, but you, you get a sense that the guy had kind of, like, an inner life as well which is interesting i i will admit i didn't feel that as much at least in this film because i I mean it was very much more focused on him trying to like off andy and then like Mm -hmm. steal his body and whatnot but i can definitely believe that there is more to this guy especially given the caliber of writing that i feel like the the film has like Mm -hmm. i can definitely believe that there is there is more to this character and honestly any of the others yeah. Well, and also, like, I think part of the reason I, I'm feeling that, like, obviously I've seen the other films, but, um, uh, uh, like, the fact that Chucky is kind of a jokester, 
<laughs> and you know, th- there's something about like the sense of humor of the character that like lets me that clues me in on like this guy had like an existence prior to being a serial killer and that sort of thing. Like, you know, he has a certain level of, like, pop culture literacy, and, like, Chucky's funny as shit. It kind of... It kind of reminds me a little bit of... of, I don't have much experience with him, but it kind of makes me think of Freddy Krueger a little bit. Oh, yeah, Chucky is definitely in that Freddy Krueger sphere of horror villainy. Yeah, absolutely. So, um... As far as the kills go, there's only, like, one one of Chucky's kills that I think is, like, super memorable. Because, you know, um, he, he breaks a guy's neck. He, mm-hmm. he's, he tries to suffocate a guy. Um, you know, he does his stabbings. He, he, he does a stabbing with the air pump, which is funny. Um, <laughs> but it's that one dude in the factory who gets yep, his eyes. I was just going to say. That, that's, like, the cruelest death in the movie. But it's he's also, just some guy. Yeah. Yeah, just... This is after the, this pile, this trail of destruction in Chucky's wake is absolutely fantastic. Um, but yeah, like you know, for the most part, like the worst stuff happens to that doll. Yeah, I, <laughs> I think like I, I had a note on my list. Like, so like, doesn't anyone ever find out about the teacher getting murdered? <laughs> yeah, you know, and that's one of those things. Like, I don't think they reveal it in the. Uh, I don't think they they cover that at all in the rest of the series, but, you know, it's just another reason that Andy would be ostracized later, you know what I mean? Yeah, because everywhere he goes, there's someone that dies. (laughs) Right. Um, So, one thing that I love about movies is when you get those, like, big set pieces, you know, where, um, you know, Mm because you've read my comic and stuff, and I'm all about those set pieces, you know. Who isn't? Um, so, like, what did you think about the the finale inside the factory? I I loved it. It was like some funhouse friggin' just. It it looks like it would be a fun place to just play around in, honestly. Right. You know, Especially besides how the, brightly colored the machinery is. Yeah, it's I've very fitting a for factory. a toy factory. Yeah, I've never seen a factory that looks like it's made of a bunch of toys. <laughs> and I just remember those pallet after pallet after pallet of the good guy dolls. I was like. God, that. How many of those? I wonder how they actually like. Did they actually make a bunch of? I, I assume they were just like empty cases. But like, good lord, that must have been a lot of work to make all those. Well, you, you know, and the thing is, I think they um they they definitely had some ways to kind of like cheat the scale a little bit. Yeah. Like when they're walking through like the storage area of all the completed dolls that are boxed up, you notice that all the boxes are. Um, completely enclosed there's no plastic film like normally in a good guy doll you'd have a plastic film you'd be able to see the doll within but in the the boxes uh the, the boxes are just uh, a print of the good guy doll i'd also it also kind of looked like they might have been just making some circles but you know yeah yeah that was that's good another thing you know yeah um the, i think the editing is particularly good there but i just i love that kind of thing where where you have like this chaotic setting, but you have another story playing out in there. So you have these people running along, as you know, you have all these doll parts being uh, assembled and that sort of thing. And just I love seeing that kind of like in and out of such a thing going on. I think what most surprised me about that scene is I was expecting there to be more like jumps and being like, "Oh no, there's a Chucky doll there," and mm-hmm. they didn't actually do that, which surprised me. Yeah, and I, I think that's one of my, like, I, I wouldn't say a complaint, but I kind of wish they had done... Missed opportunity. S- yeah, it was definitely a missed opportunity to, like, have, like, another 
Chucky doll there and like, you know, have that misdirection or have again, you know, they couldn't necessarily do the plastic film because they had to print all the 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 my uh, the the good guy dolls on the boxes, but to have him be like in a box and yeah, pop exactly. Out Something like that would have, I think, been nice, but you know, and it wouldn't have made sense logically because it'd been like, well, then how the hell did he get in there? But also, <laughs> it, this is a film where like logic can kind of go out the window, and you can still kind of buy it. Yeah, I think once you start introducing voodoo magic, you know, you're kind of <laughs> you're throwing a little logic out the window. Yeah, uh, completely ridiculous. But you know, um, and then like the, the the magical explanation for everything just gets more ridiculous as it goes on. But it's also it also gets a lot of it, it becomes really fun. Like eventually, you just kind of like roll your eyes and like, okay, yeah, I'll buy it. That just I mean, honestly, it. I love that kind of storytelling where you just kind of go whole hog on just being funky about it. Excuse yeah. Me. So uh, we we talked about how this is probably like one of the more. Um, it's definitely like the the most uh, slim down of the films, that sort of thing, because you know they it only runs like I think like eighty four minutes at most. Um, how did you feel about the pacing of the movie? I mean, it was it was really good. I didn't really ever feel any parts where I was like checking the time or anything like that. It was it kept going along at a good pace. Like the story was it was it was well structured. Like you know, you introduce everything you need to. It gets the kills. It does all that. I think I was expecting there to be more kills, honestly, but, I mean, for the pacing that it had, like, it it was good. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things where you, you think about these movies and you think, oh, yeah, a total bloodbath, but then you get back into it and it's like, you know, actually, it's kind of tame mm. in comparison. Like, um, uh, a number of the deaths weren't even, like, gory. No, like, like they, I mean, they were horrifying the in their own way. Yeah. But Oh, yeah, totally. Um, but, like, most of the gore is just from the doll. <laughs> which is in probably the creepiest part <laughs> to yeah, me. Yeah, like the, the part with the melted plastic and you see all like all the blood and hair in the plastic. It's it's wonderful. It's like disgusting. I love it. But yeah, it's like all all the gore mostly comes from like what happens to Chucky, which I really love. You just want to see this doll in fucking pain. Yeah, you know, it I it's I, I totally admit that, like, that's my favorite part of the series is just seeing Chucky get fucked up. It's, and and then you, you have Brad Dourif doing that like scream, like that very like primal sort of like pain scream, and it just there's something that's just so satisfying about that. You got to meet this man. I sure I I would love to see his reaction to you telling him uh, telling him I love the way you scream. Yeah. Hey Brad, I like the way you scream. <laughs> and then that kind of monotone, but um, so so one thing that I found interesting is uh, like this year at a Comic Con at home panel, Don Mancini said that this is probably the favorite of the series by fans. Really? So as yeah, so as someone who's like not a fan, what do you think that says about fans? I mean, I I don't ever want to give the impression that I like look down on horror fans or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I, it does give me the the impression that they they do genuinely want to see they they genuinely want to see into these characters to have something to root for mm-hmm. and also just that I, again not knowing really anything about the other films like if the caliber of writing in this film kind of goes through most of the others like I could I could see like why it would be appreciated like the pathos, I'm probably going over it a lot, but the pathos in the film is just 
it's really good, especially between Andy and Kyle. Like, mm-hmm. I, I can see why, because they're just good characters, and Chucky's a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I think, like, looking at the film, I think if you were to t- try to point out, like, what is the essentialist version of Chucky, it's this film here because it's about this kid being gaslit by a killer doll and them just trying to like trying to find someone to believe him and then they kill the doll and i think like, it, has, it does a good possible. angle it does a very good angle for itself mm-hmm. it does a good pitch that mm-hmm. i think that i think also helps so so like is there anything from the movie that as someone who tells stories you think is worth uh, noting anything that you would want to borrow any techniques or anything like that? Uh, the main thing I mentioned earlier would be like the way they do some of the shots. That was just, that was very mwah, artsy, very great. Loved it. Mm-hmm. Especially when they do those point of view shots from Chucky's point of view, obviously. But yes. like, you know, that like everything's at a lower pace. And we, like when I talked to Kevin in that first episode, we had talked about how it kind of played up the ambiguity of, um, you know, was it Andy doing this and that sort of thing? Mm-hmm. But, you know, you don't have that in this case, but there's just still something, like, unsettling about seeing clearly malicious intent from such a low angle. Yeah, we, you don't see that very often. Yeah, how often do we, like, look down, you know what I mean? I... It's good. I mean, being that I don't really make horror personally, or at least very, very, very rarely, like, that element isn't super on my mind, but... The mm-hmm. tension, I think, is is very good. Like, uh, when Andy goes down to the cellar to try and find Chucky at one part, mm-hmm. I was honestly expecting, like, there to be more jump scares and a lot more mm-hmm. just kind of freaking you the hell out. But I think that ties into the, uh, like, not the pacing, the, uh, the willingness to just kind of, like, let scenes breathe, mm-hmm. to, like, build well, tension. Like, that's, that's also very good in the film. Well, and that seems also great because you have Andy, like, being pragmatic, and you have him taking the initiative and taking that turkey carver, which is a terrible choice for a, for a weapon, <laughs> um, but, like, heading down there to um, try to, like, stop the problem himself. Yeah, the balls on this kid. <laughs> right, but, you know, given what it, what he's been through, he's got, like, that survival nature to him now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's also, like... It's ultimately his fault what happens because he's still a kid because, you know, um, the, the one scene that I remember is um, he's listening to the foster parents argue in the kitchen about, you know, the doll and like, you know, this kid needs to like grow up or get over it or that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. you know, this is after Andy freaked out about seeing the doll and then wanting to make them happy. He goes and he picks up the doll and it's like, no, everything's OK. Um, but that's like his ultimate mistake. You know what I mean? It's like he, he's trying to make them happy, but then he kind of puts himself at risk there. Yeah. It, it shows some of the maturity I mentioned in him earlier that like, I, I don't know much about kids, but (laughs) like, it definitely shows him recognizing the fact that like, he's, he's coming to understand the way people like interact with them, how they, how they Mm -hmm. view him and all that kind of thing. It's like, and it's just so sad seeing him mm-hmm. recognizing, like, oh, I guess I have to be normal for anyone to appreciate me because this fucking doll won't stop gaslighting me. 
Oh, and it's great because it's great character development on his part without any real dialogue because it's just him listening mm -hmm. and then he makes that conscious decision to do something that is against his nature just to make them happy. Like, it's it's a brilliant piece of, like, writing right there, I think. Yeah, I totally agree. I like, the characters in this are good. So, um, I, I do kind of want to, like, wrap this up a little bit, but I know that you wrote a bunch of notes, and I'd like to, like, <laughs> get through anything that you wanted to get through. Yes. Uh, we hit most of it, but I do have some, some fun other notes I still have here. Fire away. Uh, so... There were, before the film started, there were six Universal logos. <laughs> I just yeah, noted was... <laughs> six Universal logos before the film, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, because it was like their 75th anniversary. Yep. Um, you know, just so it's... Doo -doo 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 -doo. Just throw Doo -doo 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 -doo. every fucking logo at you. Well, you know, which, which is kind of cute. I'm glad they dropped that after like yes. a year. But, you know... <laughs> You know, with a, a studio being as old as it is, it was kind of fun to see that. But yeah, it's yes. also like um, that Family Guy joke about like going to see a movie and you don't know when the movie starts and when it's like a production t uh, production company's title card. It's exactly that. Yeah. Uh, I also, I love the lab where they were recreating Chucky because like mm -hmm. it, it fits into that playroom aesthetic, which was totally unnecessary, but a very fun detail to it. Mm-hmm. Well, and then also, like, the opening credits with them taking the remains of the doll and scraping off all the charred plastic yes. and flesh and, like, rebuilding. It's, like, it's such a wonderful way to, like, open the, the movie and set those credits because it's like, hey, you're about to see evil be reborn. It's also just good visual, it's good visual exposition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I definitely, I think uh, it's probably my favorite of, like, the introductions in the series. Uh, I also noted, it was utterly bizarre watching a film where places don't take credit cards. <laughs> I mean, I was born in 94, so I guess I'm uh -huh. just used to it being ubiquitous, but it's like, really? Is that a, is that a weird thing in, 90, in 1990? Yeah, you know, uh, credit cards, you know, they were still, uh, they, they weren't as common as they are now, for sure. Everybody uh, was still doing their shit with cash. Oh, awful. <laughs> uh, I also noted the foster mom. I'm sorry, I forgot her name, but... Uh, yeah, uh, the, the character or the actress? Uh, both. <laughs> oh, okay. So the character was Joanne. Yes, Joanne. Uh, I noted that... Uh, so when Andy first gets into his room, there's a Chucky doll, or a good guy doll, I should say, just mm -hmm. in the closet, and he freaks out naturally. So she takes the doll, but she just brings it downstairs? Mm -hmm. The fuck was that? <laughs> Right, and it's also like that that great little bit of writing where like the these people, as good as their intentions are, they're not prepared to deal with a child that's traumatized. Yeah, that's that's very true. Because then they make they kind of spell it out with uh, um, Phil later because Phil's like making all these complaints about the kid, and he's always like mm -hmm. very recalcitrant to to take in the kid, you know. And it's you get you get the sense that they're like not the best fit for this situation. Yeah, I can see that. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing, uh, so you're you're an older individual, at least older than I. Uh, like I'm was... in my mid thirties, but thank you for putting it that way. <laughs> I was trying <laughs> actful about it. Uh, was locking students in a room alone like a thing? <laughs> Uh, not to my knowledge like that. That's one of those like weird absurd because that's one of the things you find in the series is like you'll have these people who will do like 
really dumb things, and it's it's definitely mm. like a forceful bit of writing. Um, yeah, like it's it's not the most elegant solution, but by the end, you know, she's got a uh, air pump in her sternum, and you don't care. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, air pump in her back, you don't care because like that that's the whole setup. But um, yeah, I was I was never locked in a room. I think I think when I was was a kid, like when I was in that that kind of grade level, like a couple of years later. Mm-hmm. By that time, you know, there was so much concern about, like, how parents or how teachers interact with children that that, like, would not fly at all. And yeah. Honestly, I don't, I don't know if it would have flied then either. It yeah, seems that was like, It seems like a little too old school. Like, maybe it was, um, you know, maybe what Don was remembering from his childhood or something like that. That'd be my guess, yeah. Cause it... Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the last thing that I didn't get to... <laughs> So at the end, there's at least, like, two fake-out Chucky deaths, but uh-huh. Andy and Kyle both, like, approach Chucky after they think he's dead. It's like, I think you guys gotta just make a rule to just not go near the remains of this doll, no matter how fucked up it is. <laughs> but but you also have to make sure that he's dead, man, so it's, like, it's that thing of, Do it like... from a distance, yo! <laughs> well, you know, and... Would the movie be as fun if they did that from a distance? Absolutely not. I'm just exactly. <laughs> this is just my. This is just the CinemaSins brain going. Yeah. Right. Um. But yeah. No. I. I get. I get what you're getting at there, and I. I think like the 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 double fake out there. I. I love it personally. That was fun. Um, you know, just because you know this fucking doll won't die until they actually just melt him, and then he's not so much a doll, but rather just like a pile of plastic. Yeah. Um, it sounds like uh, it doesn't. It doesn't stick. Which you know. Mm-hmm. It really sucks you know, for him. Yeah, because um, so a setup for the third film. Uh, the third film starts with them taking that plastic and then carrying it over a bin of plastic that they're trying to make new dolls with, and like blood from that thing just drops into it. Oh, yeah. Um, which you know, like, did no one notice the blood <laughs> in, in all of this? I, I I guess there was technically one other thing. So I watched this through uh, through Amazon Video, and mm. they have this optional thing where they'll just you can have trivia being popped up. Oh, that's fun! And like any time that I like pause the movie to make uh, to like make a note or something, there was almost always some trivia that was like continuity goof. This was over here, and now it's over here. It's like, yeah, oh, come I mean, on, that guys. With, that that comes with these kind of movies. You know what I mean? Because yeah. like. The budget isn't super high. Like, I don't even know what the budget was on this one. Like, the first one, I think the budget was, like, $13 million. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, and uh, there was a little bit of a bidding war for this one in Child's Play 3 after the success of uh, the first one. So I'm sure that they had a little bit of a budget, but still, like, with a lot of horror of the period, the budgets aren't super high. Like, we're now finally seeing, like, horror films with huge budgets, but that's also, like, because of inflation in film overall. Right. So, um, but yeah, no, I, I, there, there are definitely like little continuity errors and goofs and that sort of thing, but I think that's part of the fun of it. Yeah. It like, doesn't actually bother me to any degree. It's, <laughs> it's, it's always just funny. Yeah. Uh, but it's also kind of like that thing, like that whole, like that, that's the thing that gets me about like the CinemaSins school of like film. Like I wouldn't even call it analysis. It's just, you're, you're just kind of like pointing out little goofs and like, all of a sudden that completely ruins a film or something like I don't know. I have my issues with CinemaSins. I mean, that's... Because the... I think what's always most important in a film is just, like, what you're trying to get at. Mm-hmm. And this film is just trying to be, like, a fun, like, little horror doll killer movie, and it it is that. Like, yeah, it lands. If you're expecting... If you're trying to be, like, 
overly analytical about like you're not gonna have fun mm-hmm. you'd ruin exactly. your own experience for no reason right um yeah and i i think like and it's not even one of those where it's like hey turn your brain off and enjoy it like oh. you could still get a lot out of it like you and i have been talking for about an hour now about this movie this movie about a killer doll from like 1990 uh there's still a lot you can get out of it but it's one of those things where it's like you can also just kind of sit back and just like and that's the thing it's that suspension of disbelief like i think the movie does a good job of getting us to kind of accept it on its own terms and the logic of the film makes sense for the film it doesn't violate any sort of agreement that we've made with the film itself absolutely that makes sense yeah so uh did you have any other notes uh that was everything we got through everything else that i had so yeah all i really have to say is that it's just again as someone who doesn't experience horror a lot like this this Mm -hmm. does make me want to like get into it at least a little more especially like some of the stuff that is apparently like at the better end of the spectrum of it okay yeah so i guess that's kind of kind of lead us to um how i want to kind of close this out so um does this make you want to see other chucky films at definitely ones that have more of andy and kyle which unfortunately doesn't sound like that's super frequent but i am definitely interested in those two in particular and how they how, how things work out for them so basically with four and five i'll just call them four and five mm-hmm. uh it focuses more on chucky and kind of like chucky's past and that sort of thing oh it um, develops him okay yeah so it's kind of like pirates of the caribbean how it came it became something from like being about like will and elizabeth and then it, <laughs> it becomes about jack sparrow for a couple of movies yes and I think that's kind of some of the issue with um, with those those two child's play movies, uh, which are uh, Bride of Chucky and Seed of Chucky. You know, it's about Chucky, and you don't really have a foil for him to play off of, or at least a compelling foil. Mm-hmm. And that that's why uh, Curse and Colt are so good, is because they introduce uh, a new protagonist, a woman in a wheelchair, who's actually played by Brad Dourif's daughter. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so Fiona Dorif plays uh, Mika, and I love Mika so much. Then again, I like Fiona Dorif. Like, if I have a type, it's Fiona Dorif. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so I, I think it helps that, like, the best Chucky movies are when he has someone he's playing off of. Yeah. Like, um, you know, because in the, in the fourth and fifth one, you get, the, you get introduced to Tiffany, um, the other doll. Um, and then they also introduce Glenn slash Glenda and uh, Seed of Chucky. But um, no, just something about having a protagonist really helps the series. And um, you know, Andy being that protagonist, I think it was, a, it was just a really smart move. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I would definitely suggest you check out that first movie mm-hmm. and check out the third one. Um, because that's going to give you kind of like a... If you watch those three movies, it tells, like, a complete arc. Yeah, that's what it sounds like, yeah. But if you want to kind of dive into the series further, you, you, you might be surprised, especially if you like uh, Chucky as a character. I mean, you get you get your fill of the character, for sure. I am interested to hear more about Mika, because she sounds interesting. That was the name, right? Mika? Yeah, Mika. And, yeah, she's, uh, she, excuse me, she shows up in uh, Curse of Chucky and uh, the cult of Chucky, and then I guess she comes back for the... Well, she would have to come back for the TV show based on what happens on cult, but that's an entire other story <laughs> there. Um, One that I'm sure you'll be covering soon enough. 
Yeah, yeah, because I think what I'm going to be doing is I'm also going to be doing episodes for each episode of the show. Um, so if if you're interested in watching the show at all, like popping in for an episode, kind of like how you popped into this one, essentially blind, um, that would be, I think that'd be a lot of fun because it'd be fun to get your reaction to like, okay, who the hell is this? What's going on? Honestly, I, I would be into that. Like the... The show, I'm assuming, is like, is it like any sort of soft reboot, or is it just a straight continuation? It's or? a straight continuation. That's the best okay. part of this, this series, is that, like, everything is canon. You know, <laughs> like, like even even the things that, like, yeah, maybe they could have, like, re- they could have, like, explained that away or anything like that. They're like, no, it's canon. We're committing. <laughs> Shit. Yeah. No, and I, it's that commitment to the storytelling, which I really, really appreciate. And the fact that it's Don Mancini associated with everyone. Like, it's very rare that you get that singular vision for a story and a character. And, you know, and everybody has, like, their ups and downs when it comes to that stuff. But, you know, it's I just appreciate that it's... they they Nothing is jettisoned. Singular vision. I would bet that that's part of what makes the series so like endearing to a lot of the fans. Because like, when you have that, especially someone mm-hmm. that's so committed to just having fun with this silly doll murder movie, like, mm-hmm. I, I think that's just engrossing. Like people, people who genuinely enjoy what they're making, I, I seriously feel tend to make the best stuff. Yeah, and you get that sense that like anyone making those these movies is like having a ton of fun with it. Because like, how could you not? Like, how are we going to have this doll kill people? What sort of <laughs> funny thing is he going to say? You know? Exactly. So, um, yeah, I, I hope that you'll check out some others. And I would love to have you back uh, to talk about, like, the TV show. Or, you know, I, I have some other, like, one-off ideas for episodes. Because, you know, I want to I talk about Don Mancini some more. I want to talk about Brad Dorif. Um, You know, I want to talk about, like, different readings of the film and that sort of thing. So I, I'd be happy to have you on again. Sure. I mean, like I said, I'm interested in seeing some more, and I, <laughs> you know, I gave you some crap at, at the at the top, being like, "Why did you pick me for this?" And it's like, "No, okay, I I love I love the exploration of taking someone who's like this veteran going through mm-hmm. all those horror movies and just being like, "Hey, what does this make you feel like?" And I'm just like, "Well, that, I haven't seen that before. That's interesting." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I think that's I think because. My thing about doing a podcast on this is, like, what the hell am I going to offer here? Like, there's other people who who have tackled this subject, like, more influential people, people who are probably better suited to talking about it. And I'm just like, well, I'm a storyteller. I love these movies. What do other, what do other storytellers think? And I'm really, uh, like, th- that first episode was great. I think this episode's sounding pretty great, too. Because I think, like, look, we're a minute, or I'm sorry, we're like an hour and ten minutes into this. You know what I mean? And we could probably still talk more. We're not going to. But, um, <laughs> but like, I think there's still a lot we can say about all of this, which is, you know, great. Yeah. Like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm into the idea of seeing more. Doll murder movie, good. You, you got me in your cult. <laughs> Yep, so we got another convert to the cult of Chucky. We'll have to get a t-shirt made. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I think what we'll do is we'll go ahead and start closing out here, but uh, I'd like for you to kind of, like, plug your stuff. You know, you've you've done the the work of letting people know your writing experience and everything like that. Just take a few moments to just let us know where can we follow you, what can we check out that you do. Uh, Well, the best place would be 
my webcomic, uh, Key to the Future's Fate. It's got all the links to my media and stuff like that in it. If you just if you're just looking for like a fun, happy little adventure, <laughs> no killer dolls. No killer dolls, not yet. You don't yeah. know. <laughs> uh, also, obviously, as I mentioned, I'm the writer on this uh, space station sitcom spinoff of Cosmic Dash, Galactic Hub Seraphin, mm-hmm. which very excited opportunity. Very excited about that opportunity. Yeah, I'm. I'm really. Um, I'm really enjoying what you're doing. Like I. Because I was reading your comic, I um, I figured you'd have the right voice for the characters, and you've you've totally nailed it so far. Yeah, yeah, I'm very, and I'm very excited to uh, for all the readers to experience that as well. Yep. Um. So yeah, uh, I appreciate you being on here, and then I'm hoping to have you on again. So uh, I guess we'll go ahead and wrap up here. Is there anything you want to plug? Uh, I, I usually will like plug the stuff in the notes. I mean, you could also listen to my, uh, radio show and actually, um, I was talking with the, um, the guy who runs the, the radio station and it looks like that my podcast might actually be on the radio station, which will be fun. But if, if you want to listen to my thoughts on like music and hear the type of music that I listen to, uh, you can listen to my show, the mutant hours on deviant behavior radio. Um, our current URL, uh, we actually got a new URL for that. It's WFUC.XYZ. <laughs> um, uh, but you can also go to DeviantBehaviorRadio.com. Uh, my show's on Mondays and Wednesdays at midnight. I play punk, synth, and hip-hop. Um, and then lastly, you know, just check out all the cool podcasts and stories on Haunted MTL. Because it's, it's a wonderful little Canadian horror website, and they let me do whatever I want, which is really fun. <laughs> That's a big I, I plus. Just, yeah, I, I like being like turned loose and like okay, I could get I can write about comics, I can write about Joe Bob Briggs. So, um, yeah, check out Haunted MTL. Uh, they're the ones who kind of uh, I did this podcast for. So, um, yeah, I think that's it. So again, Gage, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to doing it again sometime. And then for those of you listening, uh, I hope that more of you continue to join the cult of Chucky, and I will see you in the next episode when we talk. Child's Play 3. Goodbye. You have been listening to Kids' Stuff, a Chucky podcast, a Haunted MTL original podcast. Our theme is Pop Goes the Weasel by Kevin McLeod. You can find more of Kevin McLeod's music at incompetech.filmmusic.io. If you want to find out more about me, the podcaster, you can just go to hpkomics.com, hpcomics.com, or you can find me on the socials at hpkomic. For more great horror content, do not forget to visit hauntedmtl.com. <laughs>